What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Sound Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Wednesday, May 31st. It's almost June, meaning almost halfway through the year. Not really. It'll be halfway through the year after June ends, but it's pretty crazy, dude. It feels like 2023 just started. We've been having a pretty good year of the podcast so far. And first things first, I just do want to say... Uh, before we get into anything content-wise for today, I'm really sorry about last episode because there was no intro music, there was no transition sound. I don't know why. I when I edited it on the editing software that I use to edit all my podcasts or all the podcasts that we do, except for Matt's when he does a solo episode, but those are still great. Uh, it didn't for it, for some reason like I put all the sounds in there. I put the transition sounds. I put the intro and outro music which are the same if you haven't been here before and for some reason they just did not show up on the resulting recording so um i i don't know what happened there all the other editing worked like it's it's not like all the editing just went to crap because there was i mean there was you know parts that i cut out certain little parts that i cut out here and there that ended up being cut out in the in the uh edited recording but then the music and stuff wasn't on there so i don't really know what happened um it's it's kind of befuddling me i've messed up a couple times already talking about it trying to talk about it because i just don't really know what to say about it it's just i don't know how it happened maybe it's something with the the database or the um i guess the hub that i upload my podcast to that then distribute it to apple and spotify and google and all those whatever platform you're listening to on but uh, yeah, it was it was weird. Sorry about that. Hopefully today it'll actually work. I'm not going to just delete last episode just because it doesn't have any, you know, intro music or outro music or transitions because that doesn't make any sense. There was a lot of great content on that episode. So I'm hoping the content made up for the silly mistakes that weren't even really my mistakes. It was it was technology acting up. That's what I'm going to label it as. So, um, yeah, we got that out of the way, that apology out of the way. But today in terms of sports, which I'm sure all of you are, are here for to talk about sports and to hear us talk about sports and just kind of have a conversation here. It's going to be NBA, NHL, and then we have our rundown segment at the end. Um, again, I think this is probably gonna be the, one of the last times that I say it, maybe a couple more times, just for those, those of you who have listened to our podcast before possibly and are new here or just new here in general, we have a rundown segment at the end of the episode where we have little subtopics that we talk a little bit about, but we don't spend a whole, you know, 20 ish, 15 to 20 minutes on it. Like we do our regular segments. Like we will today on NBA and NHL, we'll spend a lot of time on those and then run down kind of just be like a speed run of different topics from all over the place, all over sports and everything like that. So hope you guys are enjoying that. If you have listened to our episodes since we started that rundown segment, hope you guys are enjoying it. We are too, but uh, yeah, that's that's about the plan for today. I've got Matt on the other end of the Zoom call here. Matt, how are you? I, I hope everybody uh, willingly and openly accepts your your very heartfelt apology there, Hayden. That was yeah. a, a a very somber intro to the episode, and our fans our fans deserve uh, 
the right to be able to know what happened to their sound effects. Uh, I mean, yeah, all kidding aside, I I don't control any of that stuff. I'm also too lazy to even do the sound effects on my own podcast when I do them alone. Uh, somehow or another, ironically, maybe not coincidence. I think not. Uh, the fact that my podcast, solo podcasts, do a lot better uh, than some of the ones that we record together. There, ain't. I wouldn't say a lot better. Yeah, I'd say somewhat better than some of them. I I so I did a podcast in in like the like the second week of April recapping March Madness and previewing the Masters which are two of the top college basketball and golf are probably two of the I don't know bottom 10 topics or just sports that we talk about on the podcast maybe maybe a little bit higher than that especially around March Madness time but like in terms of if you out there listening want to click on a review, March Madness review and Masters preview podcast, I get that it's like the timing of it. And it was f- definitely fun for me to record it. But it's like now it's like the most it's like the 10th most listened episode on our entire channel. Um, I was looking at that today. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the way I like the key. I think you got Hayden. I think you got to work on the keyword functionality there because that'll that'll drive the list because when people search the name that's what comes up in the thing yes i know how it works matt but um maybe you should maybe you can teach me a little thing or two about how you about which keywords you put because i think i put pretty good keywords and i've learned along the way the the tags and how how to work the tags to our advantage but uh and it's it's gotten i've seen a little bit of an increase ever since i kind of started doing a little new newer method to the tags but I don't know. Maybe you can kind of teach me a thing or two. Yeah. I mean, I think I had the method down from the beginning. The first solo episode that I recorded and it's, it's like now the best on the whole. Well, besides like the first couple that you guys did with, you did it with AZ. It's like one of the, one of the yeah. top ones up there. So that's true. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm, maybe I was just a natural at it. You know I mean? Like most things that I am. Uh, so, you know, you know, it, it is what it is. All right. Well, now that Matt's done bragging about all the solo episodes, which I'm excited to do a solo episode uh, soon, if if there is a time, there will be a time, actually, I think uh, coming up in July, I think Matt's going on vacation at some point in July or maybe late June or something like that, that that'll uh, that'll happen. And I will do a solo episode and I will drink out all the I mean, I'll, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> I'll cut out all the parts that I'm drinking water. That's what I meant to say. Um, not. Not that other thing that I said, but anyway, let's uh, let, let's cut the talk, cut the crap, and get into the NBA. So the Eastern Conference Finals has finally come to a close. Uh, obviously, the Western Conference Finals ended in a sweep. If you didn't know already, or if you just needed a little reminder, the Nuggets swept the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Um, and so now we have our finals matchup set. It is the Heat against the Nuggets, and according to ESPN, the Nuggets have an eighty-nine percent chance of winning it all, meaning the Heat only have an 11% chance to take home the trophy. This probably doesn't come as a surprise to most, but let's talk about why this number is so lopsided in the first place and also why this number might be extremely unreliable. So there's kind of two parts to this question here. I I guess I'll, so I'm going to talk about why it's so lopsided and then Matt's going to talk about why it's extremely unreliable, which I was going to talk about at first, but then, uh, but then Matt kind of, he, he wrote down the stat that I was thinking of. I wasn't going to write down the stat cause I was kind of trying to keep it to myself, but then he wrote down the stat that I was thinking of that proves why it's so unreliable. And he's going to, I'm going to let him take away on that. So the reason why it's like this is because, well, the heat just, they're, they're an eight seed and nuggets are a one seed. So essentially, you know, if, if you're not used to like playoff jargon, uh, the Nuggets got one of the highest seeds that you can ever get in 
or the, the Nuggets got the highest seed in the West, right? So there's only two one seeds. This year it was the Nuggets in the West and then the Bucks in the East and the Bucks were knocked out in the first round by the Heat. Uh, and so, you know, hint, hint, this could, I think this could be the first ever time that a, an eight seed knocks out um, both one seeds, much less maybe one one seed. No, I, no, I think, I think the eight seed has gotten, they've beaten a one seed like a few times, but it hasn't happened often. Um, but I think this is probably the first time that an eight seed has the ability to take out both one seeds, both in the Eastern conference and in the Western conference playoffs sides. So uh, that would be cool to see, but yeah, the reason why it's so lopsided is mainly because of, of seeding, also because of how the Nuggets have gotten here. The Nuggets are, they, they just played a really, really good, they've had a really good playoff run so far. Um, they beat the Suns, which they they beat the Suns in the second round, which the Suns were thought of as being kind of this gauntlet team with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and, um, you know, a bunch of, and Chris Paul and a bunch of stars on that team. And then they beat the Lakers or they swept the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. If you sweep a team in the Western, in the Conference Finals, in any league, the the Panthers did it to the uh, to the Hurricanes in the NHL, which we'll talk about in a little bit following this NBA segment. But the Nuggets have gotten here with ease, basically, and it's it, like they don't even look like they're really having to try that much. And it's, a lot of it is due to a guy named Nikola Jokic down low. But um, that's why it's so lopsided. That's why it's eighty nine percent going to the Nuggets to win this series, according to ESPN. Again, this is this stupid percentage thing that and you, you see posts about it on Instagram. If you follow the NBA uh, Instagram account, and I'm sure the Twitter account also posts about it. They're so like messed up. I don't even know really how they get, get these numbers and these uh, you know, these metrics or whatever, like what metrics can contribute to the nuggets having an 89% chance of winning the finals and the heat only having 11, but that's why it's so lopsided. I'm going to pose this question to Matt now. Um, why is this number so unreliable? I've kind of been, you know, bashing it so far in this segment. Why are we saying this number is so reliable, Matt? Unreliable. Well, yeah. So, so first of all, just to kind of, I mean, you did a good good job explaining. I think the reason mainly that that these numbers are the way they are is because what ESPN does in their models and their analytics is they just stick all the statistics from the season into a predictive model and it spits out a percentage that one team has to win over the other and and it is an extreme anomaly in this year specifically because this heat team was horrible during the regular season and that is the sample size that they have to draw from right and a couple playoff games here and there but i mean right they played five games against the against the bucks and six games against the heat or against the Knicks, sorry. Uh, and and so that is where ESPN is generating this rating from. You think about the Celtics, the team that came into the playoffs as they were the number number two uh, offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency rated team coming into the playoffs. That's actually one of the more balanced teams that we've ever had coming into the playoffs. And that's a Celtics team that obviously, right, you know, just got upset by the heat, but were pretty much the title favorites uh, coming into the conference final round. So, that's a team or that that's the, the statistical buildup of a team like the Celtics coming into a game or a series against the, the heat who, and I'm, I spoiled, I'm going to spoil it now, but I kind of had a stat, you know, kind of, kind of supporting this later on had the least points per game in the entire NBA for the regular season. Right. So not only the fact that, yes, you know, here they are in the, in the finals and okay, all, you know, all that's great. But if you're thinking about, you know, a, a team that comes into a series like the heat against the Celtics, with the Celtics having the second best defensive rating and the, and the second best offensive rating in the entire league against a team in the Miami 
Pete, who are statistically last, 30th in the NBA in points per game, what do you think that percentage chance of the Celtics that's going to win? What do you think that the numbers are going to spit out? Yeah, it's going to be closer to 97%, right? So that's the reason why the Celtics were such high favorites. And the same goes for the Nuggets now is because what ESPN is using is all these predictive metrics and, you know, Oh, well, it, you know, points per possession is this. And then you, you know, you divide that by the EPA on the statistical, you know, litigation of the, I don't know, right. It's all this stuff and, and, and it's all numbers based. It's all math based, but so much of playoff basketball is based on how the players play and how the coaches coach. And whether that be, coming out and, and starting hot in a game and then making adjustments at halftime and, you know, bringing it out and, and getting your team rallied together to win in the second half, you know, it could be that it could also be, which I think Miami has, has been the true poster child of so far this postseason is just effort, trying hard, doing your best to perform at the highest level for your team. And so ESPN's analytics and all these, you know, statistical anomaly things that are saying oh well there's no chance that you know that Miami's going to be able to well all of that just says hey look what Miami's done so far this season which has been not very much and not very good throughout you know basically ever since October in these 82 regular season games what they've done is not statistically is not predictive of what they are going to do in a seven game series against a really good you know a really good competition now two you got to think back to you know in general then those are just statistics that are being used from this season. And and Miami came into the season with a lot of hype. Um, I, like I told you on the past episodes, I bet the season win total over for the Miami heat. And then obviously, you know, they went under by a lot in the, uh, in the regular season, they make the play in game. They, they lose by, they lose to the bulls or they, sorry, they lose to the Hawks by, by double digits in the play in game. And then they barely beat the bulls um, in, in, in the second play in game to even make the eight seed to begin with. And so you go through the entire regular season and even the play in games. And you're like, well, this Miami team is, you know, they're kind of limping in here. They haven't really found anything to, to actually kind of support the fact that, that we, sh- we shouldn't really be focusing on the predictive metrics and, you know, the mathematical statistics of how well or how to judge this, you know, a, a team like this. And I think they've just proven everybody wrong. Now, again, last year, the Miami Heat were the one seed in the East. All right. They got to the conference finals. They beat or they well, they lost to the Celtics in last year's conference finals. And so you kind of are going to it thinking like or at least I'm kind of thinking of it as like this is a really good team who, you know, was really good last year. Um, obviously they made the conference final or they made the, uh, the, the NBA final, the, the NBA finals in, at large at, in 2020 in the bubble. Right. So, you know, they lost to the Lakers. Okay, fine. And and a lot of people say, Oh, well, that's a bubble championship. It's a Mickey Mouse championship. Okay. Whatever. Right. But this, this core, this team, Jimmy Butler was on that team. Bam Adebayo was on that team. Tyler Hero was on that team. These, this core of guys is still here with this heat team today, a team that was the one seed in the East last year, based on an, in a, you know, a great regular season. Now, nobody's really expecting them to be the one seed last year right in the regular season but they proved that that they did it and they kind of did the opposite this year where the regular season was horrible but this same core of guys who got to the nba finals la- or you know three years ago and then got the one seed in the east last year has now risen to be able to make another playoff run and that's why it seems like all the predictive metrics and espn and everything is so bad is because 
they're they're only focusing in on what this team was able to do statistically this season and during the regular season where they didn't really get a lot figured out. They had injuries kind of, you know, come and go. Um, Tyler Hero, you know, I mentioned him, but he's been out for, you know, for the last few months here. Uh, they're hoping he can get back for, for, you know, I think they said game three is when they're targeting him and returning this um, this series against the Nuggets. But like to answer your question, Hayden, hopefully that that does answer it at least is. The numbers, and it's a very simple answer when you think about it. Is like, okay, well, yeah, if you're using numbers, that's not going to equate to effort. And you know, the way that Eric Spolstra is out coaching Joe Missoula, who you know, if you gave me a straight up coaching matchup between the two, it's like you got taking a guy with 15 years of experience, three NBA championships, he's been to the finals six out of the last 15 years. Eric Spolstra has, and a lot of that was LeBron, but still, that's 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 coaching experience in the NBA at the highest level, right? Versus a guy in Joe Missoula who you know a couple of years ago was coaching D2 college basketball. So when you take it all into, into consideration, the qualitative observations of this is what I can see as the differences of this team versus the quantitative um, quantitative observations as, you know, being the points per game and, you know, what how, how your defending is going on a per possession basis and all that. It kind of gets thrown out the window because, you know, there, there's a lot there's a lot more to the story than just the numbers. And so I think that I think that Hayden's right in, in kind of his the way he posed the question is right. You know, it's, it's, it's almost impossible that, um, you know, that, that the Celtics were favored so much to win the series. And then we saw them go down three games to nothing. And then obviously, you know, it was funny because ESPN's predictive analytics was almost correct in the, in the sense that Celtics had won that game. Everybody would have been like, well, it doesn't really matter. They had 97% chance to win and that's what they did. Um, but, but they weren't. And, and I think now, you know, if you look at it, the heat have definitely in my mind, a much greater chance than 11% to win the finals. I don't think they will, but, just right based on everything that we've seen we can tell that these these numbers are now flawed and that's why kind of the price discrepancy um is the way it is yeah i don't i don't even know if you mentioned matt the 97 to 3 split when you first introduced it but i you kind of just mentioned it right there oh, at the okay. end yeah i thought so i did I, but i okay i might have skipped over it yeah i think you might have because i was actually going to talk about that or that was going to be my stat that i was going to say or that i was going to reason with in saying why this metric is so unreliable because yeah, the, the Celtics, if you didn't know, and if Matt didn't say it, I, I wasn't really, you know, I, it's not like I tuned out for the, Oh, the oh, you, oh, you weren't. No, listening. I didn't. Uh, no, okay. no, 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 yep. I didn't. All right. That's good. Um, but it's not, yeah, I, I didn't tune out for what he was saying. I listened to a lot of it, but I'm pretty sure I didn't hear 97 and three. And that's what it was for the Celtics and heat was it was 90, 97% chance uh, given to the Celtics to win the series leading into the Eastern conference finals and only 3% for the heat and they ended up doing it. They ended up going three up three zip. And like Matt said, they were, uh, they were still given a 35% chance to win the series, even when they were down three Oh against the heat. So that's uh, it just shows like it, it's very lopsided. It's very ba- It's very much based on stuff that doesn't really matter now that it's playoff time. You know, they, everybody says it's a different game come the playoffs for any sport that you're in, you know, football, a lot of people say a playoff football is, you know, is, is a lot, lot different than regular season football, even though the regular season, they play so many less games than the NBA and the NHL and everything like that. But I, th- I think it's still true for the NHL and, and NBA. And it honestly might even be even more true for those leagues, just because there is an increased amount of regular season games. And so you, you don't have guys trying as much, or you don't have guys putting, you know, a hundred percent effort into every single game, every single one of the 80 game, 80 plus games that they have during the regular season of both of those sports. So 
I kind of I, I do like to see it. Um, you know, I, I do like to see mix ups like this happen in the playoffs. So I think the next thing that we should do for the NBA and kind of, you know, the this is kind of leading into the finals is just kind of give our predictions for what we think the finals is going to be. I'm kind of on this concrete train here because if you guys don't remember from last episode, uh, I gave Matt a concrete answer when he thought where, I mean, when he asked me what I thought was going to happen in the NHL series, both predictions ended up being wrong, but I still gave him a concrete answer. So I'm, I'm still in that concrete train. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and say for the, for my finals prediction here uh, that, and don't worry, we're going to get into Celtics jargon uh, right after our finals predictions, but Honest prediction for me is going to be Nuggets in six. I think Nuggets in five is a pretty popular pick here, but I'm going to go Nuggets in six. I think that the Heat do have a chance to to pull out a couple games, um, especially at home. I, th- I think you know when they play in Miami, they definitely do play better. I don't I don't want anybody to be fooled by the Celtics just sucking at home to say that the, the Heat play better on the road. I think the Heat still play better in Miami. But the Celtics just really, really suck at home. So that's why the Heat were winning all those games in Boston, a.k.a. the last game seven. They won in Boston as well. So um, that's that. But I I also think that and this is not even really like a prediction. This is kind of like just a fact. I mean, the X factor matchup or the X factor in this series is I'm not going to say it's Jokic because I know Jokic is going to play well. And I don't I have no doubt that he's going to be great because he he will be great the x factor in this series is going to be bam Adebayo because bam Adebayo has not been playing great at least in the Celtics series he wasn't playing great uh he's been turning the ball over a lot he just hasn't really been doing much on the offensive end he's more of a defensive guy anyway like just you know regularly and as his regular self but he hasn't even really been that defensive guy for the heat recently especially against the Celtics and so I think if he can't be that guy against the Celtics, he's really going to struggle against, against a guy like Jokic. Uh, the Celtics down low, they only, they only really have Rob Williams. And I mean, you know, Al Horford plays the five sometimes too, but both of those guys are not Nikolai Jokic, two-time MVP. So I think we're going to see Bam Adebayo really be tested in this series. If he comes out and he's somehow good and he's rebounding, which I don't think he's going to be terrible, but I, I do think that Jokic and just the other star, I mean, Jokic's ability to use the other stars on his team is just going to be way too much. And it's going to overpower the heat in most of these games. Again, I think it's going to be, it's going to be heat are going to win two games. So I think it's going to be nuggets and six, but I think the heat are going to pull out two two of these games just because of how well they shoot. I mean, if they, if they can continue shooting 50% from three, like they're bound to win a game. Uh, You know, they're going to take one away from the nuggets at some point, at least one, I wouldn't be surprised if it's two. So I'm going to go nuggets and six. And you hit the nail on the head, Hayden, right at the last second, is the fact that this heat have been shooting lights out, like basically the entire playoffs, but especially in that in that series against Boston. And and, and realistically, Boston had been shooting like the Heat did in that series. Boston had been shooting like that all year long. I mean, they I think they averaged like 40% from three or something like well, not 40, but close to um they were the best three-point shooting team in the country or in the in the in the whole league during the regular season. And it's like when you get to, you know, a playoff scenario where you're kind of, you know, your, your butt's getting what? a little tight and, and, and we're, and we're kind of, you know, we're going, going back and forth and those shots aren't going in that's it's all mental. And it's like, you know, you're, you're just taking yourself out of the game by not shooting these shots and, and not seeing them go in is, is really kind of the reason why. And the difference I think that led Miami to, to winning that series realistically was, was just how well they shot. And so to a certain extent, you know, you can say like, 
it, you're right. And well, I mean, that's all the game of basketball is about making shots. And if you make your shots, you know, you're, you're, you're going to win those games. But I do think that that impacts this series a lot. Now, the one thing I will point to is the fact that Nuggets do really well against defending the three. And again, just to a certain extent, you know, what, what is defending the three? I mean, if a guy's open, he's going to take a three point shot. Right. But in terms of closing out on defenders or closing out on shooters, you know, blocking the, you know, getting in front of the passing lanes and, and, and all that, forcing the ball to go inside to Bam at a bio, like Hayden mentioned, who, right, has, has played horribly the entire, actually the entire playoffs. Um, you know, a couple good games, one, I think, against the Knicks. And, and so if he is going to be the X factor in the, the X factor in this series, Hayden, He's going to have to go past Jokic, or he's going to have to outplay Jokic, which is going to be basically impossible to do. Now, Jokic is not known for his defense, so you know Bam should be able to clean up on the boards and and get some you know get some get some interior scoring. Uh, but in terms of you know how many times is how many times is Bam going to block Jokic, right? And and even if that does happen, Jokic is going to pass out of it most of the time and put his other players in better position to score in the first place. So. Um, Agree with your analysis and and right the shooting thing is is really exactly what I was going to say. I I agree with Nuggets and six. Um, I, in or if you want to make a case that the Heat are going to win, obviously the the chance that the Heat win this series is greater than eleven percent. All right, I think we can both agree on that, and and we want to get that out in the open. But the fact that this Nuggets team has just been dominant the entire playoff series. Now he'd have you know here and there too. Um, but but. I just think that this is such a complete team. It's a team that's been here before on the cusp of winning an NBA championship and just hasn't been able to do it simply because they haven't had their stars healthy, right? I mean, Jamal Murray was out for, you know, basically the last two and a half years. Michael Porter Jr. was out the first year and a half that he was on the team. And now those are their, you know, that they're the second and third best players on this team. Um, if, if, if I want to give an X factor, it's going to be Jamal Murray, uh, you know, to kind of counter Hayden's, Hayden's uh, heat player there. Because if you think about how well Jamal Murray played against the Lakers, and again, that was only a four-game series because the you know because the Nuggets swept the Lakers, but Jamal Murray was the first player to average thirty or more points over the course of a conference finals series um, in, in the in NBA history. Now, obviously, right, it was only four games because they swept them, but still, Jamal Murray was a big part of why the Nuggets were able to sweep the Lakers. I mean, there was you know I think game three he had thirty points in the first half, right, and that was at LA. So it's like even when you know, you're like, oh, the other team's probably going to get an advantage here or whatever. Like Jamal Murray has been closing these games out and, and he's been absolutely lights out from three himself. So, but earlier in the playoffs, now, obviously the Nuggets haven't really struggled that much. I mean, the entire, you know, the entire playoffs, I think they're, they're 12 and three, right? So they've won all their series. Obviously um, they only lost one game to the Timberwolves. They lost two games to the Suns and then no games against the Lakers. So that's another thing too, is like, we haven't even seen this Nuggets team struggle. And, and I think their home court advantage is amazing too because they're in Denver, right? And, and we talk about it all the time with football and, and the Broncos where, you know, when you, get, when you get to that elevation and really, I mean, they're basically in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, like it is, you notice a difference. It's harder to play in Denver because the fact is there's not as much oxygen. So your lungs get tired and, and then the players on the court get tired as well. And so I think having to go to Denver and play those first two games is going to be tough for a Miami team coming off of a grueling seven game series. And the, and the Nuggets have been, you know, kind of sitting around for the past few days. And so that's, I think, another point, too, is the fact that and I, maybe I'll, I'll ask you this, Hayden. What, what's your what's your stance on the rest versus rust theory, you know, where like one team's been basically sitting around for the last week and change and then Miami, which we got word actually pretty much right after the game ended, they had booked their flight Saturday night. So they basically right after the game in Boston, um, that closeout game seven, they basically got on a flight right away. And so not only are they going to be jet lagged and tired from that flight alone, but then they have to turn around and, you know, basically two and a half days and be able to play again when the Nuggets have had basically triple the time that Miami's had to pre prepare for this series. What do you think? Or what, I guess what, which 
team do you think has the advantage in terms of the rest versus rest debate? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think it would matter much if it was any other series or any other location other than Denver. But I think you made a really good point when you said that the, the mile high thing of Denver creates kind of, you know, it, it just creates an advantage for the Nuggets by default. Uh, I think that the I think the heat in a way like they wouldn't really be they, they wouldn't really be affected by having to play back to back like this. And I feel like they would kind of, you know, they're they're more of a rhythm team anyway, as we've seen with their shooting. Like once they get hot, I mean, like, like any shooting team, if they get hot, they tend to win a lot. But then on the same token, like the the Nuggets aren't really like that. And so I feel like they won't really get rusty in a way. And since they're playing at home for the first two games, they have that aspect of of or that comfortable aspect to their start to the series as well so I don't really think I mean I I think it probably sets up more as an advantage for the Nuggets even though the Nuggets have been sitting out for a long time you make the point of you know rest versus rust I don't think they'll be that rusty um obviously I think basketball is a little bit different too with football like it's there's an argument for it, which we've made in the past, but I think with basketball, it's not really that much of an argument, especially with a team like the Nuggets who are going to have such an advantage over the Heat already with the whole altitude thing. And yeah, I, I think the, the Heat will probably be fine in the, the first series. I mean, in the first game or first couple of games of the series in Denver, but it's definitely going to affect them more than, you know, than, than the Nuggets will be affected by rust, quote unquote. So, yeah. Yeah, and and nothing kind of explains that out more than the fact that Nuggets. I mean, I mentioned they were twelve; they're twelve and three. They only lost three games in the playoffs at, at all, um, but they actually haven't even lost a game at home yet this playoffs either, right? So that you know kind of goes goes more towards it. In terms of my final prediction, which I haven't even gotten yet, um, I agree with Hayden's Nuggets and six. I don't want to say the exact same thing. I'll say Nuggets and seven. I think that the Heat are actually going to make this a series. They're just a different type of team. They're just a different type of NBA team. Like they actually try to go after loose balls. And, you know, there's kind of a bunch of guys on the team that are undrafted free agents who, who just kind of, you know, they know that this is their only chance to really prove that that they belong in the league and to literally make, you know, an income, you know, playing basketball. So, uh, and I think too, Eric Spolster has a big coaching advantage over Mike Malone. Michael Malone has been a, he's been a coach in the NBA for a very long time. He coached LeBron, he coached Steph at his previous stops. Uh, and he has, I think he's been with the Nuggets for eight years now. And so he's coached Jokic the entire way through as well, but they got to the conference finals in the bubble, um, but hadn't been past the second round of the playoffs at any of his other years with the Nuggets, as opposed to Eric Spolster, who, like I said, has coached in, the la- in six of the last 15 NBA finals. Um, I think he has 27 games in total, 27 NBA finals games, whereas Michael Malone obviously has, has zero. So um, I-, I think the fact that the Nuggets are kind of, the, the, the Heat just kind of surprised everybody they've been able to play um, by the way that they play and, and just diving for balls and, and just trying harder uh, than realistically than the other team that they're playing, as well as the coaching advantage. I think I think Miami's going to be able to get a few here. I wouldn't be surprised if they even win one in Denver just to kind of, you know, it, it'll kind of come as a shock to the system. They played, I mean, they won, they won all three games. Well, all three, no, they won three out of the four games in Boston, um, which is a great home court advantage for the Celtics. So I, I think Miami's probably gonna be able to get one against Denver in Denver. Um, and I and I do think the Nuggets are will eventually kind of kind of come to a win here because at the end of the day, they have four home games. Miami's only gonna have three. And if I, you know, if I've been praising how great this Denver home court advantage is the throughout the entire playoffs so far, um, I think that if you know if they if they get more home games, they'll, you know, they they should be able to have more more chances to win. But definitely I I, I expect it to be a good series um in general, you know, competitive and everything. I don't think it's gonna be a sweep either way uh, by any means. But I do think that, you know, that 89% is is gonna be proven wrong again, uh hopefully. 
uh, so that we can come on here again and, and talk about how bad the ESPN analytics are in terms of their predictive metrics. So now that we're done with the finals predictions, it's time to talk about Boston. Um, I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this, I guess. Uh, but uh, but realistically, here's the situation. Boston has been to five of the last Eastern, five of the last seven Eastern Conference finals. Um, they only have one finals appearance, and that was last year. Uh, and then they have zero championships, obviously, because they didn't even you know, win the one that they were in the only one last year. So the question is, where do they go from here? Right. And, and there's a lot of ways that we can attack this question. And I, and I want to see kind of what Hayden has to say first, but I mean, right. You know, there's kind of the, the Jalen Brown situation where, you know, he's, he's up on his four year rookie deal. Um, you know, do they give him the super max, super max contract? Do they let him walk and someone, you know, another team's going to, potentially sign him uh you're getting rid of your second best player at that point uh Joe Missoula is another interesting topic you know obviously you know a week before the season started he's thrust into the starting head coach job where he never thought he would be even close to this you know even in five years from now he's been the head coach the entire season they were the second best team in the regular season uh in the entire NBA they got to the conference finals and then you know they were down 3-0 and and almost made history there in game seven so I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of what the Celtics are going to do from here because they kind of are such a polarizing team so many people you know obviously the you know the the New England fans are are great as they are but a lot of people also just kind of always want those Boston teams to fail we saw the same thing happen in the, in the you know in hockey with with the Boston Bruins but um but yeah so Hayden you can I mean take anything that you want I guess I'll just kind of finish up where whatever I see th- I see fit after after you kind of talk about what the what the future of the Celtics is here yeah I'm going to talk about the Jalen Brown situation and then you can take the Joe Mazzulla thing or if and if you want to comment on Jalen Brown you can too I may say one or two things about Jalen Mazzulla but I think we kind of have the same opinion on that so I'm going to let you take that but for for Jalen Brown just to comment on him a little bit a lot of people are right they're kind of looking at the situation of his contract being his rookie contract being up and saying okay they've got to let him walk because he sucked this playoffs I'm a Celtics fan, like sort of. I mean, we've we've established this in the past, sort of. I'm not really an, an NBA fan in general. Like, I'd so much rather watch college basketball. So I don't really consider myself an NBA fan, so I can't really consider myself a Celtics fan. But when it comes to stuff like this, especially stuff that is going to affect, a, you know, a guy like Jalen Brown, who's been great throughout his first four years with the Celtics, when it's going to affect his career as much as it will, uh, I kind of feel strongly about it. And so... In my opinion, you're going to let up a guy, like Matt said, your second best player. You're going to let him walk to another team. He's he's probably going to want a max contract. That's kind of where the narrative is going because I think, I don't know if he's come out and said it outright. He might have, and I just might be oblivious to that. Um, it, and if he hasn't, then that's obviously what people are expecting because I've seen reports of the, you know, you know the, uh, the Celtics are going to have to give between Tatum and Brown they're going to have to give a total of like $600 million out in contract money uh, to these two, to just these two guys, if they want to sign both of them to max contracts um, for, you know, for these upcoming seasons. And so that's the problem here. And I get it. Like as a Celtics team, you don't really want to do that because then you can't pay your other players that are really, really, you know, on the rise and doing really well. Like Derek white, Derek white's a guy that I don't know how many years are left on his contract, but he went crazy in the the last couple games of the series against the heat. And he was really the only guy that, I mean, in game seven, especially he was the only guy that was even, that even had a chance of keeping the Celtics afloat because Jason Tatum rolled his ankle on the first possession of the game. And so after that, he was kind of, you know, he was kind of like a half player from there on out. 
And then Jalen Brown, we all we see all the memes now about Jalen Brown just sucking in game seven. So, you know, a guy like Derek White, you want to be able to pay. Uh, and again, I don't know how many years are left on his contract, but you want to have money in the future to be able to pay him for him to come back. because He's a great role player. Now, he isn't one of the best two guys on your team like Jalen Brown is, but he's going to be there and he's going to be a guy that you want on your team moving forward. You're not going to pay him nearly as much as Jalen Brown. And that's the problem is like people are looking at Jalen Brown and saying, okay, is he, is he really worth the max contract? Because if he's going to want one, that's what you're going to have to pay him. But I don't think you like, I don't think you look at it that way. You look at it from a perspective of, okay, has Jalen Brown helped you get to the, to five out of the last seven Eastern conference finals? Yes, he has. Has he sucked in every single Eastern conference finals? I don't think so. It was probably just this one. I, I don't really remember exactly how he played in last Eastern conference finals or, you know, the ones before that, that he's been a part of. And frankly, I don't really care because again, there's 82 games in the regular season of a bat of a NBA season. And Jalen Brown is a guy that plays all of those. He doesn't really, he's not really a load management guy. He's not really on the bench much. He's not sitting out of games. You know, he had like a broken nose that one time and just wore a mask for two months and was as was playing with a mask. So it's like he's a guy that you th- that you have on the floor a lot and th- that contributes to a lot of your success in the regular season. I think the whole like playoff doom thing is not really Jalen Brown's fault. And I don't think he's really part of that as much as people think he is, because a lot of people are using recency bias here and just saying, yeah, he he sucks in the playoffs or he sucked this playoffs. And so let's let him walk. We're not going to give him a max contract. I don't think it's that. Um, I think, you know, if they were, if, if, so if the Celtics were, this is going to be the last thing I say, and then I'll hand it over to Matt. If the Celtics were going to the finals, if they had beaten the, the heat in the Eastern conference finals, uh, if they had won game seven, or if, you know, if, if they had won in four games, five games, six games, seven games, I don't care if they were going to the finals there. I don't think there would be a conversation about Jalen Brown, not getting a max contract. I, I don't think there would be because I think it would be a no brainer to give him a max contract and everybody would feel that way. Even if he wasn't playing to the best of his ability, I think that the recency bias has just kind of taken over that narrative and basically told people he doesn't deserve the max contract. I think he does um, because again, he's like, he is a huge part of why the Celtics are, are where they are. He takes a lot of the pressure off of Tatum's shoulders. And so if you let him walk, What's Tatum going to do? You, you, you're asking Tatum to basically take over what ta- what uh, Jalen Brown was doing, or you're asking a guy like Derek White to step up and take over that role, which I don't think he can do. So uh, that's that's my commentary on Jalen Brown. I think he should get it. I think people are just really their minds are clouded by by how he played, uh, which which is unfortunate in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. But that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I do I do think that you're right, that people are kind of looking at people are like, oh, he can't dribble. And it's like, okay, he's an yeah. NBA player. Yeah, exactly. People are like, oh, you just got to force him to his left hand and he's just going to yeah. fumble it every time. I'm like, right. no, he's an NBA player. He's not. I mean, yeah, that happened in that one play, that one like memorable uh, possession from the Eastern Conference, from game seven of this past heat series. And it's like, that doesn't dictate who he is as a basketball player. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, because I think in, in game six, I remember one of the games at the beginning it was the first quarter and he started like five for six and he had like almost 20 points in the first quarter. And so he's like that type of guy who can who can get you that productivity. Um, and and I mean, realistically, too, like he he's a, he's a second best player on a good NBA team. And, and I think he knows his role and I think he fits that role, too. So like 
okay, you can criticize him all you want, but like you don't, you shouldn't expect him to be the superstar player on, you know, an NBA team and the superstar player on the Celtics is Jason Tatum. And he backs it up. I mean, sometimes he's you know a little wishy-washy here and there. And, and, you know, he, but Jason Tatum, I think is, you know, definitely the best player on that team. One of the best players in the NBA. And I think Jalen Brown knows that too. Right. So he's not out there like, Oh, I'm better than Jason Tatum. And, you know, I, I, I'm worth more money or, you know, I, I deserve more touches than him. Um, I think he's a team player and he understands his role and, and he knows what that is. And I think he should get paid. I don't know what, that does to kind of the Celtics and where their cap situation is going to be in terms of, you know, I mean, that's essentially two super max deals you're signing within the, you know, kind of a two or three year period here. Is that going to do anything with, you know, being able, like Hayden said, you know, kind of keeping Derek white and guys like Derek white and, and, and Mar- Marcus smart and Al Horford Horford on the lineup, these guys who have been integral in, you know, kind of leading this team to where they've gotten in, in these past seasons. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think they're going to, I read a bleach report article or, um, a notification that said that they're probably going like there's feelings in the building that they're gonna they're gonna sign him. So I do think they will get that deal done. Um, in terms of Joe Missoula, everybody's gonna be calling for his job. Here's the reason why he shouldn't get fired, and I, and I I don't believe any other way that he should be. I've said time and time again. I saw I said on the last podcast. I've even mentioned it already on this podcast. He wasn't supposed to be the coach. And he was only thrust into that coaching position a week before the season started. So good luck having any success or even like getting used to what the job is supposed to be like, even during the regular season when you're in that type of situation. Okay. Because Emil Yudoka was a great coach and he got them to the finals last year and, and whoop de doo And then he had the situation and fine. So Missoula t- t- takes over, but has no clue on he- how to even coach an NBA team, much less a star studded NBA team that has a lot of expectations, right? During the regular season, what they do? Oh, well, they were the only had the second best record in the entire NBA. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, they were second in offensive efficiency, second in defensive efficiency, one of the best overall teams to ever come into a playoffs, right? Coached by a guy who, like I just said, really had no business being there in the first place. And then throughout the playoffs, that's when he starts getting all this slack for, you know, during the Sixers series. They go down 3-2. Well, what happens? They ended up winning the last two games in the series and, and you know, and coming away with that victory. Obviously, the 3-0, um, you know, against against the Heat. I think that's when his first kind of, well, I guess in somewhat in the Sixers series as well, but that's when kind of Missoula's first kind of coaching mishaps kind of began. And, you know, he, started, he, was, he was calling timeouts and he was challenging stuff that he shouldn't have been. But again, we're talking about a guy who, again, I, I don't want to keep saying it, but I'm going to have to keep saying it was on the second row of the bench, wasn't even like an assistant coach really, but was basically put as a head coaching role, has never even had any experience even doing this at a D1 college level, right? Who's now coaching for, you know, the the, the NBA title favorite, um, Boston Celtics. And he's coaching against Doc Rivers and the Sixers, who is a championship winning coach, who should have probably had at least one other championship right now, despite the fact that he's the most choked choke heavy coach in the entire history of the NBA. Um, and then, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals against Eric Spolster, who everybody is now saying is the best coach in the league. Uh, and I would agree with that. You know, I, I would have said Steve Kerr probably before this run that that Spolster's had with this Heat team that has, you know, basically been, you know, not really as talented as, as even close to as talented as the Warriors in the past few years. So th- that's what we're dealing with. And I think that if you compare, if you just look at the situation on a surface level of like, this is what the expectations were for this Boston Celtics team it, during the regular season. He, he hit all of that. He did all that perfectly. In the playoffs, they kind of flamed out. But again, what what basis of the, of comparison do we have? I already mentioned in the in the beginning of this topic, the Celtics have been to five out of the last seven Eastern Conference Finals. Two of those were the were with Brad Stevens. One of those were with um or actually three of them were with Brad Stevens. One was with Ime Udoka, and then obviously this one this year with uh, with Joe Mazzulla. 
And here's the other thing is this core of guys. I mean, you know, you kind of had your Isaiah Thomas and you had your Kyrie Irving for stints there over the past seven years since this kind of run has been with the Celtics. But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have now kind of I mean, they, they've been on this team for a while now. And, and this is, you know, largely the same core. Marcus Smart's been there forever. Right. He's been through this entire series. So it almost kind of comes to me that like this is a problem with the team and, and the players and the personnel that's on this team because you've had three good coaches all who have been, you know, had this kind of core of guys who've, who've gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals and not even be only one com- or only one NBA Finals has come out of it. Uh, and that was last year, which is, you know, Ime Uduka was first year coaching the team. And, and you know, he got he got to the finals and lost to the dynasty of this generation. Right. So it's it's one of those weird, like one of the weirdest things, I think, in sports right now, where this is one of the best regular season teams and will always make a deep run to the playoffs. But for whatever reason, that core of guys, the core of guys who gets them such a great regular season and gets them so far into the playoffs to the, you know, to the kind of the Eastern conference finals range um, is not able to carry them through to even getting to an NBA finals, much less winning a championship. So I think that Joe Missoula deserves no blame for any of this. I think he did a great job in his first season. And yeah, like you're going to get overwhelmed in the playoffs when you're facing off against these coaches who are legendaries or, you know, legendary legends of the game. And I mean, think about this. He could have gotten swept by the heat and that would have been an outrage. But like they were down 3-0 and he kind of shrugged his shoulders and got back up off the ground. He coached this team to, to even the series and, you know, put it to game seven. Like, yeah, you lost that game seven. It's, a, it's an eight seed heat team. But it, I think we'd, we could all agree. And that's, again, the theme of this podcast. This heat team is not an eight seed, right? I mean, they, they are they are indicative of, of a team that is deserving of way more than that. They were a one seed last year um, and, and didn't really lose that much production. So I think that this whole blame Missoula thing is probably going to run its course. And I think you even are starting to see it out there too, a little bit where, you know, the media outlets and people are kind of saying like, yeah, they're probably going to, you know, they're probably going to bring it back again next year because I, I don't know, in my mind, he, I think he met the expectations of what this team could have, could have been, but you shouldn't have been expecting him to meet those expectations. I think is the way to explain it in my mind. It's like, he's not worth he, he He is not a coach that's worthy of carrying this, team to the length that they were you know were exceeding their expectations but he met the expectations of the team in his first year coaching at a a job that he's never even come close to to doing before so yeah I I think that that's my take on the Missoula thing I hope they don't fire him if they do I mean who are you going to get that's the other question right I mean Nick Nurse took the Sixers job um the the Bucks job is Phil Adrian Griffin took the Bucks job so like a lot of the, the Suns are still looking for a head coach too so it's like at the end, at some point too, you kind of run out of candidates for like who's actually going to be a you know a worthwhile coach. I don't think Doc Rivers would come back to the Celtics. I mean, that would be a kind of a weird, I guess, reunion. I I don't know how he would work with with the current roster. But yeah, in my mind, Joe Mazzulla met the expectations. He didn't exceed them, but you can't expect him to succeed those expectations when the circumstances the circumstances are what they were. I think the larger problem is this roster. And if that means you don't bring back Jalen Brown, you save a bunch of money and it, you know bring in kind of a, a you know a veteran role player, maybe that's what you do, right? I mean, we see what Kyle Lowry's been able to do for for a Heat team that is now obviously in the NBA Finals as a as an eight seed. And obviously, I don't think Kyle, you know, Kyle, Kyle Lowry is not bringing as much production to the Heat as Jalen Brown is providing for the Celtics. But but just I'm just kind of thinking outside the box here, like, you know, just for whatever reason, this team is not able to complete the job. And I think for whatever reason, now that we've seen three coaches do it with this, you know, same kind of ish roster and not be able to do anything with it. I think that kind of points more in the direction of where it's a personnel thing and not a coaching thing. Yeah, I completely agree. I, like I said before, when I first started talking about um, 
or when, when I mentioned Joe Missoula and his situation, I think we have the same opinion on it. And, and we do. That proves to be true because Matt said everything that I would have said. Um, I just I probably also would have added that I think since losing, I think even since losing to the 76ers, the the Celtics front office has kind of come out and said like, or they've implied at least that Joe Missoula is pretty safe, that he should feel comfortable with where he's at in the Celtics organization. He's not, I don't think there's much, um, there's much threat here right now, at least in, in the current state of the NBA and where we're at, uh, at least, at least with, you know, the NBA season so far is like, I, I think from this point on, there's not going to be any changes, really, any, any drastic changes, and he's pretty safe where he's at right now. So we should be pretty confident in that. But with that being said, we're going to – it was almost – it was like a 45-minute long NBA segment. But uh, we're going to move into the NHL real quick to give our predictions for the finals. So uh, if you guys didn't know the, you know, the, the, the results of the Eastern Conference Finals and Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, it was kind of flip-flopped like in the NBA. The Western Conference Finals ended in a sweep, ended kind of early. Uh, it was flip-flopped in the, in the NHL. The Eastern Conference Finals ended a little bit ago. Panthers ended up beating the Hurricanes, and they're in uh, the finals as a four seed, which is the lowest seed that you can be in the finals as um, they're going up against the Golden Knights team, which it, which was a one seed, or which I guess still is a one seed in uh, this in this NHL playoffs. So we've, there's kind of the same dynamic there um, with the Western, the team out of the West coming from um, a one seed, and then the the team out of the East coming from the lowest seed um, being the four seed, or being a four seed in the East. Uh, so yeah, so the Golden Knights and and Florida Panthers will face against each other in this uh, Stanley cup finals matchup. So the, the Knights come in as minus minus one thirty favorites um, to win this series, despite being a one seed in the, and the Panthers being a four seed, you would expect it to be bigger. Like in the, I think the heat right now are like plus 300 to win the series, the, the finals. Um, and you know, the, I don't know what that would put the, the nuggets at Matt probably knows because he's a betting wizard, but yeah, right now minus 400. Okay, yeah, minus four hundred. That makes a lot of sense. So um, that's a that's a huge difference when it comes to you know this this hockey series, which I think is rightfully so. I think this this series will be closer than the Nuggets Heat series will be in the NBA. Um, but there there's kind of two things to talk about here. I'm going to let Matt talk about the Panthers after I kind of mention a couple of things about the Golden Knights real quick and kind of how they got out of this series with the Stars. They went up. They originally went up. Had gone up three zero against the Stars. Uh, and then the stars, they were at home in game four. They ended up winning at home uh, or they ended up winning that game four home game and then ended up winning game five in Vegas after that uh, to big it to three, two. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, this is another kind of uh, heat Celtic situation here. But then uh, the Knights ended up winning the fourth game back in Dallas in game six. Kind of a, a broken heart there for Dallas fans. But. Yeah, the Knights got here. I think based off of the the two things that I've seen in at least in the Stars series, especially I didn't watch the Golden Knights much up until this point. Watched them a little bit against when they were playing the Oilers, just because I wanted the Oilers to win, basically win it all after the Bruins got uh, got or got bounced from um, from playoff contention by the Panthers. But I think that the Golden Knights, what they have is just offense, which is like kind of shaky sometimes. But then they also have a really good goalie in Aiden Hill. He's he's become one of their best players, if not the their best player overall, especially in the star series. Like I said, uh, he, he was just, he was balling in the star 
or series. He, I think that series mainly came down to goalie play. I think the stars offensive end a little bit. They, they had one guy, I forget his name. It's like Ben or something, Ben, like his last name is B N N. I forget his first name though. He's a forward and he got, uh, he got suspended. I'm pretty sure. Or he got like hurt or something like that. So he didn't play for most of that series. I think he came back in game six, which they lost <laughs> to the Knights. Um, and so I think that was kind of a, something that hurt their team, their, their kind of offensive play a lot because he was a forward. He was a captain on their team. And so he was out for most of their series. Um, and so I think that's kind of really what hurt the stars on the offensive end, but the Knights, like they still kind of played bad and they still won in six games, um, which leads me to believe that I think it was mostly their goalie play by Aiden Hill that got them here. And it's going to be interesting to see the goalie battle between him and uh, Sergei Bobrovsky on the other side for the Panthers. It's like, I think this series, and this is going to be the last thing I say before I let Matt talk about the Panthers um, or whatever he wants to talk about, but this series is literally just like the battle of the good goalies. And it's, it proves to you, it proves to anybody watching the NHL that goalie play is a, not only super important in the playoffs, but it basically dictates whoever makes it to the final, the Stanley cup finals. I don't think that there's one other like dictating point or dictating aspect of a game or of an NHL team, at least that has as much of an effect as goalie play does on a finals team or a team that makes it to the Stanley cup finals other than goalie play. I think that that's probably the most important aspect. And we've, we've seen it from both of these teams, especially the Panthers getting here, um, which Matt will, you know, give a couple stats on, on them and how crazy their playoff run has been. But I think, especially, yeah, for the Panthers, like Bobrovsky has shown that it's super important there. And then we're kind of seeing, seeing Aiden Hill find his way, especially in the, in the Western conference finals against the stars, we saw him really come alive and, and, really catapult his struggling sort of, you know, offensive and defensive play into, um, in, into a Stanley cup finals run. So that's kind of where the, the golden Knights are at, Matt, I can let you, uh, I'll, I'll let you take the the Panthers side of things here. Cause I know you got a little bit to say on them. Yeah. Since the Panthers were down three to one against Boston all the way back in the first round of the playoffs, which was like two months ago at this point. Um, yes. The Panthers were losing three to one against the Boston Bruins who were remind you, the best team in the history of the NHL because they had the most points and the most wins uh, that any other team, well, more of those than any other team in the history of the NHL. First round of the playoffs, Boston's up 3-1. They're like, yeah, we got this. Uh, not so fast. The Panthers won three straight games against Boston to take that first series. Then they won three straight games in the first three games of uh, the, the Toronto series because they played the Maple Leafs after they beat Boston. So they won three straight games against the Bruins. Then they won three straight games against Toronto. So they had a, basically a six-game win streak. They lose game four um, at home, weirdly enough, uh, and then to Toronto. And then they won game five at Toronto, and then they won four straight against Carolina. So they're 11-1 and one since being down 3-1 to one against Boston. Uh, they had a win streak of six games and then a win streak of five games. I, this team is insane. I mean, it, it, and I think the biggest stat, and you've probably heard it kind of been thrown around a little bit, is the fact that they they're winning all these close games. Like I think in in one goal, get like games that are decided by one goal, whether it be in in regulation in regulation or overtime, games that are decided by one goal. Um, I think the, I, I'm not going to even state a record, but the Panthers are like almost undefeated, um, and they've played a ton of them. So statistically it's a little bit of anomaly the fact that like how many close games they've been in and been able to actually win those games but i think to a certain extent like once you get to the to the stanley cup finals like there ends up being a point where that's actually a skill of your team right i mean we see this all the time in other sports where 
you know, some teams are just able to better, you know, close games than other teams. And, and whether that's experience or, you know, the kind of the, the way that your team works, you know, it, it, I couldn't tell you what it is, uh, but, but for whatever reason, the Panthers are able to find that juice and, and just kind of ride all the way to the end. So, I mean, I can't, I can't go against the math there or, or the, you know, the, the, just the insane run that this Panthers team has been on. And I mean, you think about even the, the, the hurricanes, like, a team that in Carolina has were, I mean, they didn't run through their entire, you know, two series prior to that, but had scored an average of like six goals. And, and in all of these games, they're like have zero goals, one goal. And so that obviously, you know, kind of goes through to what uh, Borowski as Hayden mentioned has, has been such a good addition to this team. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just based on that stat alone, I can't, I can't fade the Panthers here. I think they're going to win the series. Um, obviously they're the lower seed, so they're going to have, the the Knights are going to have kind of home court advantage or home home ice advantage um, when it comes to obviously kind of, you know, they have the, the first two games and if it goes to game seven, the Knights will be at home as well. Um, but I mean, this, this Panthers team has been able to travel and, and hasn't really been an issue for them at all. Um, they obviously haven't been kind of the West coast, I guess yet, but, uh, but I, I don't, I don't really see them losing. I think that Hayden kind of talked about too, like the Knights, have been have looked really good at certain times, but they kind of just always seem like they're not playing amazing hockey. And I think to the Panthers too, to some extent, like they're not blowing teams out, but they're able to find a way to win these close games. And I think if that's what's going to continue, which obviously now I mean, we have, you know, the two best teams are you know throughout the whole playoffs. If that's the case, give me the team that's been able to figure out how to win these close games in in, in the Panthers. So um, I'll, I'll say, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I'm going to say Panthers in five just for some plot, just because I think that the run that this team has been on, I think they can continue it. Um, and, and I'd love to see kind of a, 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 you know, a Southern team that hasn't really had a lot of shine. Uh, I don't think much playoff experience at all. They've got, they were the president's cup trophy winners last year too, which is so funny because it's like both of these South Miami, Southern Miami teams or, you know, South Florida teams, in the Panthers and the Heat were both the one seeds last year and didn't even make the Stanley Cup finals. The Florida Panthers actually already well, they got they got ousted in the first round of the playoffs to the four seed, but they were that was the lightning and whatever. Um, so both these teams were the one seed last year, basically had the best record in the league in each of the leagues last year, got ousted from the playoffs earlier than they expected, uh, and then are now here in the finals of their respective sports. I love I love the story, but and I think that the Panthers are gonna be able to continue it, unlike I think uh the Heat will, will probably end up falling to the Nuggets. Yeah, I didn't even give my pred- prediction, but I think you're right. And I, that's a good point about the Panthers and the Heat kind of being the having the same dynamic between the past two seasons, last season and this season, of course, being going from best to worst, basically, in the playoffs. But I think for my prediction, I, I also think the Panthers are going to take this, too. I think it's, you know, it's almost like they've come so far and they've done so well over the past 12 games. Like Matt said, winning 11 out of the 12 of their last games um, or 11 out of 12 of their last 12 games, like. It just it's it can't be it can't be this way without the Panthers finishing it off strong. So I'm going to go Panthers. I'm actually going to go Panthers in six. I, it's kind of a boring pick. Um, I was going to pick se- Panthers in seven, but I'm going Panthers in six um, because I don't I think that if it goes seven games and it goes back to Vegas, I don't know if Florida is going to be able to pull it off. I think that Vegas fans, well, I mean, Vegas, it's Vegas to begin with. So it's like, you know obviously going to be crazy fans there. Um, and it's, it's a new team and it's like, they've kind of, you know, Vegas has been to the finals before uh, the Stanley cup finals before, and a lot more recently than the, than, than the Panthers. And so it's like, 
I don't know. It's it, it just kind of feels like if it does go to seven and it does go back to Vegas for game seven, they'll probably take it. So that's why I'm not saying Panthers in seven. I'm saying Panthers in six. So um, there you go. That's my prediction there. It's it's boring. To, I know it's boring to have both predictions be six games, but it, it is what it is. That's what you're getting. So uh, with that being said, we're going to move into our last segment of the day, which is rundown. So we're, we're going to have four topics here. I actually just added, it was three until about uh, two minutes before we started recording here. So we're going to have four topics uh, to have a little discussion on. The first one being the Warriors GM, general manager Bob Myers, has stepped down from the role. There's been a lot of like um, hubbub about, I don't know, it's like somebody's, I think it's his son or something like that that's already kind of in the in the organization somehow. And like he was going to step up, but then now he's not going to step up to the GM role. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's basically up for grabs. And also this guy has been a part of all of their success. Their four championships they've, that they've won. Yeah, I don't know much about the guy, but uh, I guess I'll kind of hand it over to Matt to give his thoughts. I, I don't really know what this means for, especially for basketball. Like, I think the, I think the coaches is, is probably more important. Um, but I don't think I also don't think we're going to see a little situation with like Brad Stevens going from head coach to didn't he go from head coach to GM in one year or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So well, I, don't, uh, I don't think we're going to see. Yeah, but it was because the GM spot was open because well, essentially. Um, I, why do I always forget his name? Danny Ainge was the GM of the Celtics and he basically left the Celtics to go to Utah. So Danny Ainge built like the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, as we know it today, Celtics. Um, he left to go to Utah and then they were, they promoted uh, Brad Stevens. So, yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be that kind of situation where Steve Kerr gets promoted to the GM, but we, it, he may, we, I don't know, but Matt, what do you think? Well, Bob Myers built a team, man. I mean, this is the dynasty from the last 10 years in the NBA, and he's kind of the the the, the brain power behind it. I mean, he drafted Steph, he drafted Clay, he drafted Draymond Green. So this this core of this Warriors team that has realistically changed the sport. I mean, they revolutionized basketball with the way they played. Um, he was kind of the he was kind of the mastermind behind it. So I think it's a big loss in terms of I guess, you know, kind of the stability of, of this, of this, you know, institution that has been such a, a, dyna- a dynamic power in the sport for, for as long as he's kind of been at the helm here. However, as I mentioned, the game has changed and pretty much everyone else is kind of caught up to the fact. And so I think that he's kind of, he's kind of saying like, all right, I've done my job. Um, I, I kind of got out of it. What we needed to do, obviously four championships in seven years is nothing to, uh, nothing to laugh at. So, um, yeah, and they lost two finals as well to, to the LeBron teams. Um, so or well, one one to LeBron, one to the one to the Raptors. But um, I think that it, it's it's a big loss in terms of kind of right, like the stability of the of the organization. Like they're not going to fall apart or whatever. Uh, Joe Lacob is the owner, and he's kind of he's a really smart basketball mind too. Even though even though he's an owner, he's not like some tech guy who's just sitting out on his yacht being like guy yeah, on the Warriors. He's actually in the building, like making these decisions. So. Um, I think they'll be fine from here, but it is, I think, kind of an, the end of an era to a certain extent of like, this is a guy who's a really, you know, he's a really smart guy. And he, he you know, he built what the, what the Warriors um, dynasty ended up being. So I think that's the interesting part of it uh, to me. The second one is uh, Max Verstappen, who won the Monaco Grand Prix this past weekend. Um, there was a race on Sunday, but, you know. It was kind of the same exact result of, of of the qualifying, which I think Hayden kind of astutely pointed out in the topic here where he said the the actual race wasn't really on Sunday. Um, he won the weekend on Saturday. Hayden, explain what you mean by that. Yes, he, he did win qualifying on, on Saturday. And that's really what I meant in terms of the race wasn't won 
on Sunday. It was one on Saturday because if you didn't see his final lap, uh, his, his final lap to get P1 in, in qualifying, it was absolutely insane. It really is final sector, which there's three sectors to every, to every track on the, in F1, like on the circuit. So and it, it's basically just the track split up into three different parts. And then you like time each, each part of the track to get up, to make up the, um, you know, kind of like your final time for the lap. So it's like the, the final lap time is the one that really counts in qualifying and, and determines your position in the actual race on Sunday, but Max Verstappen going into his last lap was not qualified first. He was the last one out on the track. I'm pretty sure. And uh, he just, he had this crazy third sector that just like blew everybody out of the water. Um, And the third sector in Monaco is one of the, is probably one of the slower sectors of any sector in all of F1. And so I think it's the the shortest one. Like it's, it's actually the shortest one. Like it's the hardest to gain time on because the track itself is the shortest on the calendar. And that sector is the shortest of the shortest race. So it, it definitely is. Yeah, exactly. You're right. So it's the hardest to gain time on. And, uh, you know, he ended up doing it. He beat beat out Fernando Alonso, who was going to place first in um, in qualifying originally until Max Verstappen beat him in this sector. And if like there's there's all camera angles of this sector, like you can go up on you can go on YouTube, even if you're not a racing fan, if you've never heard of F1, I highly recommend you go watch it. Max Verstappen final sector in Monaco qualifying on YouTube. There's angles from like his point of view from like the in-car angle. Um, and then there's angles from, you know, kind of just like from the fans and or like from the aerial view, I guess, of, of drones that they have that are, that kind of just like fly with the um, with the cars as they're, as they're driving. There's so many different angles of this sector and it's just absolutely incredible how he drives. Like it blows my mind. Um, and it, I'm sure that it blew every mind that was watching it too. So that was really cool to see. Um, that's why I say that it, he won the, he won the race really on Saturday, not even on Sunday, because right. Like Matt said, it rained like, you know, on lap 50 of Sunday. And that was the biggest thing to ever happen in this race. And it was like, Oh my gosh, uh, we're going to have to switch to intermediate tires and we're going to have a couple guys switch to wet tires because they're in 20th and let's just see what it happens. And it's, that was like the biggest part. And it was kind of just boring other than that. So props to Max Verstappen for really winning this race, literally, truly like winning this race uh, on, on Saturday because right. Fernando Alonso ended up coming in, coming, coming in second too. So um, yeah, that's, that's that. The third one, Tom Brady. Now this was a bleach report notification that I got after I wrote this topic. Okay, let it be known. He was announced that he was going to be part, part, become part owner of the Raiders. Um, and that's when I got to thinking, well, the Raiders need a quarterback. Well, they, they have Jimmy Garoppolo, but would you rather have Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo? Interesting that they were both in, in New England as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so th- I don't think it's, and this is going to be really interesting because I don't think that there's an actual like law because this has never happened before where there's nothing there's no existing law that says that a, te- a a player who is a part owner of a team or any any part owner of any team can't physically play for that team as well because i mean i i i wouldn't think that there would be any contra- conflict of interest or whatever because if you own the team you want the team to win and if you play for the team you're going to want the team to win because you own it too so it's like it's it's all the same thing um this would be amazing it'd be really interesting i don't think it's actually going to happen um but i mean you can't ever put anything past tom brady so hayden what would you think if this happened yeah i don't think it's going to happen either i i think that tom brady's actually done and that he's just too old to throw football anymore i mean he 
still has an arm, but yeah, he's, I don't, I don't think he's going to really do that to us. That would also like require him to make another retiring speech next year, maybe in the same spot on the same beach <laughs> and people will sa- sell the sand from where he was sitting like <laughs> on eBay for a hundred bucks. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. And it would just require way too much, way too much to happen. And yeah, like this whole, there'd probably be like a whole investigation by the NFL because like Matt said, if there's no existing rule against it, they probably have to make one at that point uh, saying that they would, that there would have to be some special exception for that to happen. So yeah, I don't think it's going to, it's going to really roll out the way that Matt um, worded it. But again, yeah, it's just kind of like a little, little click, little clickbait in there for the title. But um. Yes. And then the last one, the last topic here is uh, the one that I wrote minutes slash seconds before we started recording. And it's that we just got word. I just got word uh, through Bleacher Report notification that LSU football helmets will be air conditioned starting this upcoming season. And uh, there's like a there's a video of a guy putting it on for the first time and he, he looks like he just got baptized. And it's like, it's like. I don't know like how this is going to, I don't know how the technology works, how it's really like, it's going to, if it's going to like freeze your head off because your head's wet because of sweat. Like that's, that's kind of a, I feel like that's kind of a concern because when you, when you sweat and your, your head's all wet, if your body's all wet and you go into an air conditioned room, you get really, really cold. So it's like, is your head going to get really cold? Like your body does when you go into an air conditioned room after sweating a lot. I don't know. Um, It's, it's going to be interesting. And it's also like, I wish I had an air conditioned helmet when I was playing football, but we didn't. So Matt, what do you think? Yeah, that that's, that's entirely my thing is like, these guys don't need AC in their helmets. All right. It's football. It's a, it's a rough man's game. And, yeah. and it's a, and it's, it's supposed to be the most tiring and physically uh, endurancing sport on, on the earth. All right. And that's the point of it. So um, yeah, I don't like this idea just because I didn't get to do it. And I don't think they should have it because, it's football and you're just, you're making the, you're making the game too easy. What are we doing here? We already have the, you know, you can't touch the quarterback. You can't do the defensive backs. Basically aren't even a position anymore because anything they do with their hands, it does. It's already a penalty. So um, yeah, we're only making the game more softer in my opinion. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're, we're not about softness here on first time run down podcast, but that's going to be it for the episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. We definitely enjoyed doing it. Um, it was a little bit of a rusty episode, but you guys probably won't hear a lot of that because of the magic thing called editing. But hopefully, hopefully the transitions by now, hopefully there will be three transition sound or two transition sounds. No, three transition sounds. I was right. Uh, and hopefully there will be intro and outro music and the outro music you will hear very, very soon. But um, yes, we will probably have another episode coming out uh realistically probably next week because there's not much happening in between now and then in terms of sports. Uh, I refuse to talk about MLB, so we're not going to do that. And next time you'll hear from us, we'll be after a few, a couple games of both the final series in the NHL and and NBA have happened. Um, And hopefully there will be stuff to talk about there. So that'll be that. And we will catch you guys uh, pretty soon here, probably in about a week, maybe a little bit less. So be ready for then and thank you guys always for the support.